0: Well, I want to begin today uh, with a little bit of interactivity, and so I'm going to need your help, whether you're here in the room or you're watching at home. Uh, So the, the new series that we're starting today is entitled Relentless, and so I need everybody right now to say the word relentless. Relentless. So if you're watching online, you're going to put this in the chat, but I'm going to share with you a couple stories of people who embody this word, and when I'm done telling the story, I'm either going to say he's relentless or she's. Or that? okay. So I'm hoping you guys get a little bit more animated than that because that doesn't feel very relentless the way you're saying it. But we'll give this a shot. So first example, first anecdote is this book called The Help. Anybody read the book The Help or seen the movie? Catherine Stockett, who wrote the book, she received 60 rejections from agents for her book The Help. 60 people said no and then regretted it later. But the 61st agent said yes, and she went on to spend 100 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Catherine Stockett, she was... Awesome, you guys are doing great. Over 40 episodes of this show, Wiley E. Coyote and the Roadrunner were filmed. The Coyote tried over 260 types of ways to trap the Roadrunner. Wiley E. Coyote should have died about 341 times in those 40 episodes. He just kept trying to catch that speedy word. He was relentless. This guy, Abraham Lincoln. He lost his job in 1832. He was defeated for state legislature in 1832. He failed in business in 1833. His high school sweetheart died in 1835. He had a nervous breakdown in 1836. He was defeated for house speaker in 1838. He was defeated for nomination to Congress in 1843. He lost renomination to Congress in 1848. He was rejected for land officer in 1849. He was defeated for U.S. Senate in 1854. He was defeated for nomination for vice president in 1856. He was again defeated for U.S. Senate in 1858. And he was elected president in 1860. That's. And I'm just exhausted reading that list. You know, the word relentless gets used in lots of different contexts, positive, and negative. If one of your kid comes up to you for the sixth week in a row to say, can we please go to Disneyland? You say, man, this kid is just relentless. Sometimes when that person calls your house for the 12th week in a row, wanting to sell it for you here in Prescott, you're like, man, these agents, they're just relentless. But the word relentless can be also used in a positive sense. It means showing or promising no abatement of severity, intensity, strength, or pace. When we see somebody who's relentless, we also use words like unrelenting, dogged, or determined. That's why I think that story of Abraham Lincoln is such an embodiment of the word relentless, because his story is this incredible tale of this unrelenting, dogged, determined person who was not going to be defeated by heartbreak or pain, whether it was in his body or in his family or in his career. And it's that kind of relentlessness that we're going to talk about this summer in this series called Relentless. We're going to talk about how God pursued his people throughout this section of the Bible known as the Minor Prophets. Now we all have favorite sections of the Bible, sections we turn to, sections that are marked up and well-read, sections that we know well or have memorized, but very few of us would include the minor prophets in that section. For many of us in our Bibles, if we were to open up to the minor prophets, you might sneeze because it's so dusty. Some of us are like, I'm not even sure what's in the books of the Minor Prophets. I couldn't even tell you the names of the Minor Prophets. And it's not a large section of your Bible. I'm going to kind of hold it up for you. It's basically here. It's basically this. It's not much. Twelve books. But there are some incredible things in this section of Scripture that I think speak to where we are living today. And so starting today, each week this summer, we're going to take one book of the Minor Prophets. We're going to explore what happens there. Some are going to be harder for me to summarize, like today's, because it's one of the longer ones. Some of them, it's going to be a lot easier. But in each of these weeks, I think you're going to see the heart of God and how God pursues his people then and how God pursues us even now. So, to give you some context, because I think a lot of us haven't spent a lot of time in the Minor Prophets lately, I want to give you some background. Now, just the word Minor Prophets is important for us to understand. When you hear the word minor, you think, okay, unimportant. Or if it's baseball, it's like, we're not sure yet, and they're not that good. But the word minor in the book, the Minor Prophets, is, is one of many words used to describe this section. It's also known as the Lesser Prophets or the Shorter Prophets. The the section of the prophets actually begins in your Bible in the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah and Jeremiah are two of the longest books in the Bible. The book of Jeremiah actually is the longest book in the Bible. A lot of us think it's the book of Psalms, and that's the longest by chapters, but Jeremiah is the longest by section. And the minor prophets are called minor, not because they're unimportant, but because they're shorter. Many of them are one, two, three, four chapters, and so they're called the lesser or the, the minor prophets. They, they range over a long period of time from effectively 735 to 430 BC. These 12 books cover 300 years, longer than our country has been around. It's a, it's a long time. It includes prophets who are sent to prophesy to both Israel and Judah, the two sections of the kingdom of Israel that split after King Solomon. And in both of these nations, 10 tribes in Israel, two tribes in Judah, we see these prophets come and speak. They speak before the people go into exile, while they're in exile, and after the exile. So they cover a wide range of experiences and I will tell you that in these 12 books, you're going to find some repeated patterns. So if you're the kind of person that just loves new things, that never tries the same food at the same restaurant, you are always order a new dish, you never go back on vacation to the same place, you wear clothes once and you give them to Goodwill, this is going to be a frustrating summer for you. Because <laughs> you're going to hear some things over and over and over again. And here's the problem. We live in a culture that is addicted to novelty which gives us the idea that once we've heard something once, we've got it and we can move on. But just because you've heard something doesn't mean you learned it. Just because you heard something doesn't mean you're, you're living it out. And in, in our minds, we tend to trip ourselves to go, oh yeah, I've heard that before. Just because you've heard it doesn't mean you don't need to hear it again. And as we'll see with the minor prophets, sometimes I say something again and again, And again, and again, and again, and again, to get it through to our hardened hearts. So over the next 12 weeks, you're going to hear about these themes of sin and judgment and restoration. And don't ever lose hope that this is just a a dark section of scripture. There is tremendous hope even amidst these hard words. So with that being the background of the minor prophets, we're going to dive into our first one today, which is the book of Hosea. And I also need to give you some background on Hosea because most of us don't know this book very well either. So Hosea was a prophet commissioned by God to speak to five different kings, beginning with King Jeroboam in Israel and finishing up with King Hezekiah in Judah, he spoke to five different kings. He prophesied through the fall of Samaria. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC by the Assyrians. Hosea's ministry spans such a long period of time and so many kingdoms that it's very likely that the book we have, the book of Hosea, was spoken first by Hosea and then recorded by a scribe that he employed maybe even after Hosea died. That that scribe put together all the things that Hosea wrote and compiled it in the book that we have. The book of Hosea is 14 chapters long. It's the second longest uh, of all of the minor prophets. It's the the longest that we're going to get. And so I'm going to do my best to try to summarize it for you today in one message. Uh, But I want you to encourage you to, to make sure you spend time this week reading through. We'll talk more about that later. But to summarize Hosea, this is the big idea that I tried to kind of bring it all together under The big idea today is this, that we rejoice because God's grace is relentless and it's so much greater than our sin. We're going to rejoice today, even as we read through some hard things. Why? Because God's grace is relentless. The same way that Abraham Lincoln was relentless to push through all of that adversity, God's grace is relentless and it keeps coming our way again and again and again and again. And it is so much greater than our sin. We're going to face today the sin of the people, but it's always important for us to remember that as great as their sin is, God's grace is greater. As great as your sin is, and it's pretty great, you're, you're great at one thing in life, you're great at sinning, you know? Uh, I'm great at one thing in life, I'm great at sinning, but God's grace is greater. And today, through Hosea, we're going to learn three things about God's character. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up to the book of Hosea. Now, if you haven't been in the Minor Prophets in a while, don't worry. It's totally okay. you got lots of company today. Hosea is in the Old Testament. It's after the book of Daniel. It's before the book of Joel. It's about 70% of the way through the Bible. If if you open your Bible to Psalms, head towards the back. If you hit Matthew, head towards the front. There's also an index in the front of your Bible. If you're using a digital Bible, just scroll down and you'll find it. And we're going to be in the book of Hosea. It's 14 chapters long, so we're not going to read it all here together today. But I want to begin by reading the introduction to Hosea. And so if you're here in the room, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Beginning in Hosea chapter 1, verse 1, this is what we read. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah and of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him, Go and marry a woman of promiscuity. And have children of promiscuity, for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. So Hosea went and married Gomer, daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, name him Jezreel, for in a little while I will bring the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again, and she gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, name her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel, and I will certainly take them away. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah, and I will deliver them by the Lord their God. I will not deliver them by bow, sword, or war, or by horses and cavalry. And after Gomer had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And then the Lord said, Hosea, name him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Jesus, we pray that over the next 12 weeks, you'll speak powerfully to us through your word, and we pray that we would not be hard-hearted like your people and the minor prophets, that our hearts would be tender and open, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see what it is that you are saying to us, and we pray that we would respond with repentance and obedience. And may the words of my mouth, Father, and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. In your name we pray, Jesus, amen. You can be seated. Now, the first thing that we learn from the book of Hosea about the character of our God is that we have a long-suffering God who pursues his people. We have a long-suffering God. I'm not sure if any of us would hold ourselves up as paragons of patience, but we have a God who is one. And we see this beginning right here with the example that we read about in Hosea chapter 1. You know, it's wedding season in our country. And I just want you to imagine that this summer you go to a wedding. And I'm not sure how they leave weddings this year. I know there's always new trends on TikTok and Pinterest and, you know, maybe they throw, you know... uh, bird seed or confetti, in this picture, they're blowing bubbles, you know, and it's, it's always this exciting moment when the wedding is completed and they come back down the aisle and people are clapping or they're, they're leaving the reception and people are clapping. I just want you to imagine that you're at a wedding and as you look up at that bride and groom, somebody leans over to you and go, she cheated on him and she's going to cheat again. And she's going to keep cheating. Would you be clapping in a little bit? Would you be celebrating? Would you be blowing your bubbles? Or would you just feel this black pall come over the whole thing? Well, that's what happens in Hosea chapter 1. God says, go marry a woman of promiscuity. Your Bible may be a little bit more blunt. One Bible I read this week said, go marry Gomer, a woman of whoredom. And it wasn't just that, that Gomer had a checkered past. No, no. God told Hosea, go marry this woman who's been promiscuous. And by the way, she's not going to stop when she marries you. She's going to keep being promiscuous. And you're going to have children of promiscuity too. In, in Hosea chapter 3, God even tells Hosea, she's been so promiscuous, you now need to go buy her back out of slavery From the promiscuity. You go, Scott, this is weird. This is a weird place to start. Well, it's an example of what's happening in the hearts of the people. Right there in Hosea 1, God says, for the people of this land are living in promiscuity. My people are committing spiritual adultery against me because we promise to be faithful to one another. And I have been faithful and they have been not. And so when God calls Hosea to be a prophet to the people, what he's doing is that every time somebody heard the name of Hosea, every time somebody heard the story of Hosea and Gomer, it was going to give Hosea an example to say, and before you think too badly of me, just remember in this story, you're Gomer. Before you judge my wife, you do the exact same thing with God. And all throughout the prophets, God uses prophets to bring these very undeniable, not ignorable, in-your-face examples. For instance, in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel's wife dies. And God tells Ezekiel, don't grieve her death. Don't mourn her loss. Because my people are not grieving and mourning what they've done to me. The prophet Jeremiah walked around literally in chains. As a way to try to tell the people, this is what is going to happen in your future. Prophet Isaiah was called by God to walk around naked for three years. Aren't you so glad your pastor didn't get that calling? (laughs) And neither did you. In the book of Ezekiel, God calls Ezekiel to cook his food over dung. And he compromised by letting him use, hum, not human dung, but cow dung. Thanks, God. Appreciate that one. You go, Scott, these are, these are bizarre examples. Because the people were so hard-hearted that God had to resort to nakedness, chains, and dung to try to get their attention. Now, I know you've never been hard-hearted before, and God didn't have to get your attention. But hundreds of years ago, people were hard-hearted. And God is relentless in going after the people. Years ago, some buddies of mine, we decided we were going to read through the Bible together. And it was right after P90X came out, the workout program. So somebody created this workout program for your Bible called B90X. And it was reading through the Bible in 90 days. Yeah, it was intense. We had to read 45 minutes to an hour every day. And uh, eight of us started, only two of us finished. Um, I got far behind. I read through all the prophets in a weekend. It's a lot of reading, um, but I, I'm a, I'm going to, I'm going to finish even if it kills me when it comes to things. And I have to tell you that one of the things I noticed when I read through the Bible that fast is that God is way more patient than I am. God is way, 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 way more long suffering than I would be. I mean, I would have had seven floods in the Bible. I mean, I would have just kept, you know, flood them again, you know, start over. Flood them again, let's start over. And, and the Old Testament gets a bad rap to go, God is so harsh and so violent. If you were God, you wouldn't have been nearly as patient as God was. You wouldn't have held out nearly as long as God did. You wouldn't have been nearly as relentless with your love and your grace as God was. And God continues to send prophet after prophet after prophet, giving his people chance after chance after chance to rend their hearts and turn in repentance and return to him. Because back in the book of Deuteronomy, the people of Israel made a promise before God. This picture here is of the modern city of Shechem in that middle valley and the mountain on your left is Mount Gerizim and the mountain on your right is Mount Ebal. And in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses put half of the people on each of those mountains and they recited to one another the covenant they, they were making with God and the blessings and the curses that would come if they were unfaithful. And it was this reminder, as Proverbs 3 tells us, that we are not to loathe God's discipline, for he disciplines the ones he loves. And he laid out in Deuteronomy how he would discipline his people if they were unfaithful. He said, when you have children and grandchildren and you've been in the land a long time, and if you act corruptly as they were acting in the book of Hosea and the books that follow, if you make an idol in the form of anything and you do what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, angering him, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that you will quickly perish from the land you are about to cross to the Jordan to possess. You will not live long there, but you will certainly be Destroy. That's what happens in the fall of Samaria in 722, the fall of Jerusalem in 586. But there is hope of restoration. He says, he will not leave you, destroy you, or forget the covenant with your ancestors that he swore to them by oath because the Lord your God is a compassionate God. And and this moment in Deuteronomy and then in Hosea is the perfect embodiment of a quote I know you've heard before. It's been used and kind of changed over the years. But the original version comes from George Santagnana, who says, those who do not remember the past are condemned to relive it. And I just want to ask you today, is it possible that God has been trying to get through to your heart? That God's been trying to, to break through the hard heartedness that you have and that he's been relentless in pursuing you? You know, after COVID, at least the most intense seasons, we came back to church. I heard people say, I'm never going to take this for granted again that we can gather together in person. I'm never going to take for granted that I can hug or that I can be with or share a meal. And and there was a part of me that that smiled and nodded at the new appreciation people had. But there's a part of me that's a cynic. It says, how long is that going to last? How long are you going to remember How long are you going to have in the front of your mind a treasuring attitude to what you could not do? Because those who don't remember the past, they're condemned to repeat it. And before we judge these people, there are places in our lives where God is being long-suffering with us. And he is relentlessly offering us opportunities to recognize the direction we're going and turn around. I'm so grateful that we have a long-suffering God who pursues us. The second lesson we learned from Hosea is that we have a God who loves his people even in the face of our lack of love. Now, it's easy to love people who love you. I mean, that's awesome. You love me. I love you. This is really easy. But when you have somebody that doesn't respond back with love, it's really hard to sustain that love. And we see that in the book of Hosea. In Hosea chapter two, God speaks to the people and he says, I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness and you will know the Lord. Hosea speaking to Gomer is God speaking to the people and that word there, faithfulness in verse 20, in your Bible, it may be loving kindness Covenant love, faithful love. It's the Hebrew word hesed. This is one of the most significant words in all of the Old Testament. Again, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the Bible was not written in English. It wasn't written to Americans. It was written the Old Testament in Hebrew to the Hebrew people. And the Hebrew word hesed is the word that describes the love that God committed to love his people with way back in Deuteronomy. Knowing the people were going to be unfaithful and not love him back, he said, I will love you with Hesed, with a faithful love, with a covenant love, with a continual, eternal loving kindness, even when you don't return it back to me. And all throughout Hosea, we see these two images again and again, and they're previewed there in Hosea 1. There's the image of Hosea loving Gomer and Gomer not being faithful to him. And then Hosea having these three children, two boys and a girl, who are prodigals. Their names describing the ways that they would be unfaithful to God and even unfaithful to their parents. And what we see in Hosea is that God is the bridegroom to an unfaithful wife, and God is the father of prodigal sons and daughters. And that's us. We're the prodigals, and we're the unfaithful ones. So I want to encourage you that as you read the book of Hosea, and you kind of look for yourself in the story, please don't put yourself in the position of Hosea. You're probably not the prophet. It's probably more likely that you're Gomer. Or Jezreel, or Loami, or Loruama. And in the book of Hosea, he he lays out the people's sins, their sins of idolatry, sins of injustice. The, the people are incredibly violent and they love violence. They're hypocrites. They continue to practice these religious practices and then they carry out acts of injustice on each other as if the two aren't related, as if God only cares about what happens during their religious services and doesn't care about what happens in their real life. They're involved in political revolt. They make alliances with foreign governments and trust other nations instead of trusting God. They, they have an arrogant attitude and ungrateful hearts. Hard as I look at this and I see, see things that I've battled myself. I see sins that are still present in the people of God today. And God is still the God who is a bridegroom to an unfaithful wife, He's still the God who is the father of prodigals, and He is still the God who responds with love in the face of our lack of love and I want to invite you today to dig into this with me when when you leave today if you're here in the room we've got a copy of a reading plan and what we're going to invite you to do each week this summer is if you're here on Sunday or you watch online the message the following week we're going to read through the book together so this week we're going to read through Hosea together don't worry this is probably going to be one of your harder weeks we get to Obadiah. Obadiah has one chapter, so that'll be a fun week that everybody reads. Um, but I encourage you, if you're here in the room, to take home one of these today. If you're watching on our website, if you go on the worship resources page, there's a button that says sermon extras, and there's a digital copy you can download there. But, but it's, it's the power of God's love in our lack of love that still overwhelms us today. It overwhelmed the, the Apostle Paul In 2 Timothy, he writes, well, if we are faithless, God will remain faithful, for he cannot deny himself. We have been united with Christ. And even if we're unfaithful to him, we're now part of him, and he cannot be unfaithful to himself. It is his character. We love when we feel like it. We love when the feeling comes over us. We love when we're in love. God is love. Hesed is his character, and he has promised and covenanted with us to love us. That's why we have hope. And yet so often when we face a moment like these people did where we recognize what we've done, maybe look at that list of sins of the people and go, man, there's some things I battle with in there. The temptation for us is to default out of grace and into try harder to go, you know what, man, I'm gonna wake up tomorrow morning and I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to, I'm just going to work better. I'm going to try to read my Bible more. I'm going to try to pray more. I'm going to try to be at church more. I'm going to try to love people more, but here's the problem. That's not how change comes. The message of Jesus is not a message of try harder, buck up, do better. That's the American gospel, not the biblical gospel. God knows that we don't change from the outside in, but from the inside out. I love what James Smith says, our wants and our longings and our desires are at the core of our identity, the wellspring from which our actions and behavior flow. And what God wants to do is not change our behavior, but give us a new heart. That's why he says to the prophet Isaiah, I'm going to remove their heart of stone and I'm going to give them a heart of flesh. So, if today or in this series, God convicts you about your sin because you keep hearing about it every week, I just want to encourage you defaulting into try harder is not the message of Scripture. It's saying, God, give me a new heart. God, change what I want so that my actions will follow. Way, way harder. But also something that depends on God, not depends on yourself. Here's the, the last piece, the third thing we learn about God in the book of Isaiah, Hosea, that God promises restoration on the other side of judgment. There's judgment that comes. Hosea experiences it in the north. When Samaria falls, after Hosea dies, the south falls. Judgment is inescapable in the minor prophets. But on the other side of judgment, there's hope, there's restoration. The end of Hosea, Hosea 14, this is what we read. Hosea speaking the words of God. I will heal their apostasy, their unfaithfulness, their adultery. I will freely love them for my anger will have turned from him. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily and take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His new branches will spread and his splendor will be like the olive tree. His fragrance like the forest of Lebanon. The people will return and live beneath his shade. They will grow grain and blossom like the vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. God promises that on the other side of judgment, there's restoration. God promises on the other side of our hearts breaking from facing our sin, there is restoration with him. And in the same way that whenever you watch a movie and you see a story of estrangement either between a a husband and a wife or a father and a son and then there's that moment of of reconciliation, there's the moment when that that prodigal returns and then there's that hug and and that man begins crying. I don't know about you, but if I ever see a man cry, I'm gonna cry too. There is that hope of restoration. And this week for me, I found myself reading through Hosea and and relating to the story of these prodigals. Not because I, I went and spent my dad's inheritance on wild living. No, but because of the words of Henry Nowen, who says, I'm the prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. I'm the prodigal. Every time I look for something to give me the love that only God can give. I'm the prodigal when I look to my work to give me the love and affirmation that only God can give. I'm the prodigal when I look to you to give me what only God can give. I'm the prodigal when I look to financial success or popularity or even a vacation to do for my soul what only God can do. And over the last year, I think there's a lot of us who looked in places that weren't God for something to satisfy our soul in a place that only God could. I want to challenge you with a blank in a sentence. How would you complete the sentence after the last year? Blank cannot save me. What, if, what have you discovered in the last year that can't save you? If you're watching online and you feel so bold, you can even put this in the chat. A political candidate can't save you. Your job can't save you. Your retirement can't save you? See, they looked to other nations and to idols made by human hands to save them and we judge them for that. And yet today, there are still things we put in that blank. Oh man, this thing can save me. This thing can deliver me. This thing can get me through. And we're the prodigal. We're the unfaithful wife. Every time we look to those things. And yet the good news that we can rejoice because God's grace is relentless and God's grace is greater than our sin. So I wanna encourage you today to apply what we're learning through Hosea with some next steps. And here's the first one. I wanna invite you today to reflect on the wants and the longings that are driving your actions and your attitudes. Before you go, yeah, there's some things I need to change. Go deeper than just the things you see to what you can't see. And here's a couple ways you could do that. Ask yourself the question, what do I want most right now? Don't say lunch. But, but what's the desire that's driving your life in this season? What, what do you want most right now? If you were really honest with God and yourself and everybody else, what do you want most right now? And then secondly, what do my wants reveal about the state of my heart and my soul? This is a universal question, what do I want? It's a question that a lot of us have a hard time answering. But what we want is an indicator and an insight in what's going on inside our heart and our soul. And until that begins to change, we'll never see sustained action and attitude change. Number two, I want to invite you to honestly identify the places where you've been like the unfaithful spouse or the prodigal son. As you read through Hosea this week, look for places in your own life where that's been you. Where have you been looking for unconditional love and acceptance? Where have you been looking to something or someone other than God to help you feel enough? What do you put in this blank? That You're recognizing that that thing or that person can't save you. No, number three, I want to invite you to confess and repent. It's one of the key messages that we're going to see all throughout these minor prophets. In Hosea 6.6, 6, God says, For I desire faithful love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. The solution isn't just, okay, I'll come back to church next Sunday. No, 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 no. Way harder than that. Confess and Repent. And the word repent often gets put in the basket of that's what people need to do when they first come to faith in Christ. No. Repentance should mark our lives every single day as followers of Jesus. Because if you are not Jesus, and I'm assuming most of you aren't, there's something you have to repent of today. And I just want to, establish, and I've said this before, and I'm going to keep saying it till it's true, I want us to normalize repentance. We hashtag everything today, I'm hashtagging this. I want us to normalize repentance. That in your community groups, or on Sunday mornings, or in your conversations with friends, it should be normal to hear people say, you know what, this week I'm repenting of. If you can't remember the last time you repented of something, friends, it's been When the service is over today, we sing our final song in a second. I just want to encourage you. Maybe you need to come forward and repent of something today before you go. You go, Scott, what people think of me? You're doing what they're too scared to do. To repent. Which basically means I'm going the wrong direction. I recognize it. I'm going to name that and I'm going to go a different direction. By God's grace and with his power. And then finally, give thanks for a relentless father who pursues and redeems. We're going to celebrate today that this is what God does. He pursues us and redeems us. In, In Hosea 2, he says, Hosea speaking to Gomer, I'm going to persuade her. That's Gomer. I'm going to lead her into the wilderness. I'm going to speak tenderly to her. There I will give her vineyards back to her and make the valley of Achor, which was a really desolate place into a gateway of hope. Hosea was going after Gomer. He was going to bring her back in the same way that Jesus came for you. He came to bring you back. As Paul says in Philippians 2, Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he'd come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. The judgment that was ours for being the prodigal and the unfaithful fell on Jesus, and he came for us. He was so relentless in his love for us that he went to the cross and died on the cross so that we might experience a grace that is greater than our sin. And if we ever wondered if he loved us, all we had to look to was the cross to go, yes, he's relentless in his love for me. And if I've been living in sin and God's been pursuing me, there is an opportunity to change directions and come home today. And friends, that's why we rejoice, because his grace is relentless. And it's so much greater than our sin, Jesus we thank you for your relentless grace. we thank you that even when we wander, even when we turn, even when we fail, even when we respond to your love with a lack of love that you endure so today as as our hearts experience your Holy Spirit on this Pentecost Sunday, speaking to us through your word and moving within us. We pray that that you would birth in our church a fount of repentance, a fountain of, of grace, that we would recognize that all of us have turned and gone our own way. All of us are in need of your grace. All of us need to come home to you today. And so we celebrate your relentless pursuit of us, and we give thanks for your grace that is greater than our sin, that you took for us what was ours, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be free. And we praise you and we rejoice in you today, Jesus. It's in your